And if you've got your Bibles, it's lovely to be with you. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 32. So Genesis chapter 32. And uh, I'm going to read from verse 22. It's a well-known story of Jacob wrestling with, with God. He doesn't know it's God he's wrestling with, of course, at first, but it turns out that that's the case. So Genesis 32 from verse 22. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip socket was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed them. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God's faith, God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Then just a few verses from Psalm 103, so Psalm 103 from verse 13. Psalm 103, just verse 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Let's just read these beautiful words again. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Well, we thank God for his word and pray that he'll give us understanding of it as we uh, think of it uh, together this morning. Uh, This is a, a preacher's dream because uh, your faces are so tiny on my screen at the moment. I can't see if you're yawning, and I can't see if you're looking at your watch. I can't see if you're picking your nose for that matter. So it's a, a sort of preacher's dream that I can just preach and not be terribly aware uh, of, of your reaction. You know, as I was uh, thinking about this morning, and just the, the current situation in which we find ourselves with the coronavirus and so on, I was thinking of uh, R.T. Kendall, who's one of my favourite Bible teachers, and I heard him uh, not terribly long ago on a a sermon on YouTube, just speaking about the first sermon that he ever preached. And he chose to speak on prophecy, and it was the first time his father had ever heard him preach, and he really hoped his father uh, would be impressed. But his father, after R.T. Kendall had preached, said to him, you know, my favourite preacher always said this, 
never preach in prophecy until you're old. And that way, when you preach in the end times, when you preach in prophecy to do with the end times, that way, leave it till you're old, because that way uh, you'll die soon and nobody will ever know. Uh, you'll never know that you actually got it wrong. So uh, maybe you're expecting me to speak into the end times, to speak into the prophetic significance of what we're going through at the moment. Uh, I don't actually want to do that because I'll probably get it wrong and uh, each of us will probably have our own uh, thoughts about where or if this uh, fits in with what Jesus told us about the last days or even the, the last, last days, the end days, the very last days. But I don't want to go down that route. I want to speak as a shepherd, because that's what I am. And that's what I was called to be. I was called to be a pastor. Uh, more so than a prophet, I was called to uh, be a pastor of God's people. And um, I do want to address uh, anxiety and worry. And the reason I want to do that is I've done a couple of vlogs lately, and I've never had such a, a big response uh, from the people of God just as I've addressed uh, anxiety and as I've addressed uh, worry. And as I was saying in one of these blogs, sometimes uh, preachers can be hard on anxiety and worry and they just tell us right away it's a sin because Jesus told us not to worry and not to be anxious and not to be afraid. And so many times in the Bible that that is reiterated. Somebody said that fear not is there 365 times. Somebody else actually said it's there 366 times. That's once for every day of the year, including a leap year. So I don't know if we count these things and uh, who's right. Is it 365, 366? But certainly it's there a lot that God seems to speak to us through his word about anxiety and fear and worry. But I think sometimes preachers can get hold of that in the wrong way. And they say, therefore, if you're worried, if you're anxious, if you're afraid, therefore that's a sin because we're commanded not to worry, not to be anxious. But I think when they speak like that, they're misunderstanding God, the Good Shepherd. <clears throat> they're misunderstanding Jesus, <clears throat> the Good Shepherd. When God speaks about that, it's because he knows our frame. It's because of what we read in Psalm 103. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And he knows we're prone to anxiety, and he knows we're prone to fear. He knows we're prone to worry. And uh, when he tells us not to worry, not to be afraid, it's because the shepherd knows his sheep. God knows what human beings are like. And he doesn't give this as a command in the sense of it's a rule so that if we break it, we're guilty of, of sin and transgression. He gives it in as, as an encouragement because he knows that his sheep often are anxious and afraid. And he wants to help us out of that into a place of peace and into a place of rest of soul. Maybe you've got anxieties at the moment. It might be about the coronavirus. It might be for yourself. It might be financial worry or anxiety. <clears throat> Perhaps it's a worry for your loved one. Maybe 
there in the country are being vulnerable or are being shielded. I've got four diseases that uh, put me into that category. I've got lung disease, heart uh, problems, diabetes and uh, a faulty immune system. And maybe you've got a relative like that. Maybe you're like that yourself. And you think, I shouldn't be worried. I shouldn't be worried. God tells me not to be worried. And added to your worry, you've got the added feeling of being guilty about your worry. Well, I think that Jesus wants to come as a shepherd to you and gently lead you out of that place of worry and help you through the process into a place of peace and rest of soul. And to help with that, I just want us to think about the whole story of of Jacob, which is a story where we actually realize that our weakness, our frailty, that frame that is like dust, it actually has power with God. Uh, you'll remember the story of Jacob without me going into it uh, in any uh, great detail. He, he really had been a cheat. He, he's one of these characters in the Bible that doesn't come across well. He, he had a wonderful grandfather. Remember Abraham, who was a, a person of great faith, and he set out not knowing whether he was going, where he was going. And God uh, uh, holds him up to us as a person of faith, not only for taking that step, but for believing that he would have as many seed as there, there were stars in the sky, an uncountable number. And uh, God uh, actually accounts him as righteous because of his faith. So Jacob had a wonderful grandfather, an example of faith. He had a wonderful uh, father, uh, Isaac, an example of, of meekness. Uh, have you realized that um, when we think of Isaac being bound on the altar and the knife being lifted above his head, sometimes we get the impression he was just a wee boy. Actually, he wasn't just a wee boy. He was probably a teenager to an adult, somewhere between teenage years and 30. He would easily have had the strength to push his aged father away and to get up out of that, off of that altar. Do you not think as a young man or uh, an adolescent or a young adult, he had plans and hopes for his life, and yet he meekly allows himself to be bound and placed in that altar. So Jacob had a wonderful grandfather, a wonderful father, but, you know, Jacob himself, it's hard to find a redeeming feature about him. He's a cheat. He's an exploiter. He cheats his aged father. He cheats his uh, brother. And then ostensibly sets off to look for a wife. But as well as that, it's to get away from Esau's uh, rage. And the years pass and he comes back and he's still up to his cheating. He's still up to his plotting because he realizes that Esau is angry with him. And he hears that actually Esau is on his way with, I think it's 400 uh, men. And uh, he becomes afraid and he thinks, what can I do? And, and he sets up an elaborate system so that when uh, Esau approaches, somehow his wrath will be placated almost by bribery and so on. And he's left alone. And now we come to that point in the story that we, we read earlier where 
a man and he doesn't know it's God, as I said earlier, but it turns out to be God in human flesh. A man comes and wrestles with him. And uh, the fight continues until uh, round about daybreak. And at that point, do you remember what God does? He actually does two things. He gives Jacob a new name. He calls him Israel because he says he's prevailed with man and with God. And the name of Israel reflects that as somebody who's wrestled and somebody who's prevailed. Remember also he reaches out and he, he touches the, the socket of Jacob's hip and dislocates that hip. Do you remember what follows next? That Jacob also asked God, what is your name? And do you remember what God asks? Why are you asking me that, Jacob? Why are you asking me my name? And sometimes we don't realize what lies behind that. Let me explain what lies behind that. Back in the Bible days, there was a, a belief in what we would call word magic. And it's still actually alive as part of things like Satanism and witchcraft. And it basically believed if you could get the real name of somebody, then you could get power over them by spiritual means. So here was a manipulator, still up to his manipulation. He wanted to know the true name of the person who was fighting with him because he believed if he could get hold of that by some sort of magic, and Jacob was into magic, was actually into the occult. That's how far he'd gone. He'd gone. It's clear from previous stories he was into the occult. And he actually believed if he could get hold of the name of this person, the true name, then he could prevail over him. Do you know, to this day, we don't know the true name of Rome. Rome has a secret name that nobody has ever discovered. And the reason it had a secret name and a public name was precisely for this reason, that if somebody got hold of the true hidden name of Rome, then they could use it in some spell to gain power over the city. So here's Jacob, the cheat. He's wanting to get hold of the true name of the person who is fighting with him. But you remember what God says to him. He says, Jacob, why are you asking me this? In other words, are you still up to your old tricks? Do you still think that you can somehow gain power over me by manipulation of even spiritual power to give you the victory. But the other reason behind it is this, that God's effectively saying to him, Jacob, do you not understand? I've just given you a new name. I've told you, you've already prevailed with me. You've already conquered me. You've already wrestled with me, and you've won, and it's reflected in your new name. It's an astonishing thing that God says. When you look at this man, how on earth can we find 
anything in him that would actually allow God to say, Jacob, you've won. You've conquered me. You've conquered my heart, Jacob. You've won. Do you know the only thing I can find in the whole story, the only way I can make sense of this, is that it was Jacob's sheer weakness and inability to be anything other than Jacob that had drawn forth the compassion and love and mercy of this God who remembers Psalm 103. He knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. It was his very weakness that had somehow conquered the heart of God, if we can put it in human terms. Isn't it good to know that our weaknesses, and I'm including in that this morning, our anxieties, our fears, our inability to feel or think anything other than we can feel or think at any given moment, especially at times that are worrying us and confusing us and causing us anxiety. Isn't it wonderful to know that the God who knows our frame, that actually that has power to prevail with him and it draws forth his compassion and it draws forth his love and it draws forth this desire to help us. He does with the heart of a father. And he's a good, good father. And what good, good father would not be moved in the depths of their being when they saw their children struggling. And if we who are evil, according to Jesus, us earthly fathers can feel like that, how much more? our Father in Heaven. So I wonder this morning, are you anxious? Are you afraid? Are you feeling added to that, a guilt about that? I would encourage you to see yourself in a new way. But your struggle, your, your inability to totally be at rest and to totally be at peace, and this is relevant not just today, but any time we we feel anxiety has settled upon us. Isn't it wonderful to know that God doesn't look at that, at that in condemnation because he knows our frame and he remembers we're dust and it's precisely because of that that he sends forth his help and he sends forth his, his strength. What better things to bring to a saving God what, 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 what more can we give to him that would please him more? A God whose heart is to save and cleanse and forgive and help. What better things can we bring to him than our sin to be cleansed and our weakness to be strengthened? I just want to remind you as I close, because um, I don't know how long I've been speaking for, but it's maybe difficult to watch anything too long just by uh, this means of, um, uh, of the internet and so on. But there's another psalm that I was thinking about just the other day, another well-known psalm, Psalm 139. 
and uh, you you'll know that psalm. It's the psalm that says we, we weren't hidden from God; that He knew us when we were being knit together in our mother's womb, and so on. So it's a, such a well-known psalm. Uh, where shall I go from Your Spirit? Where shall I flee from Your presence? But the verses that really spoke to me uh, out of Psalm 139, and I did a wee vlog in this, is verse 5. You hem me in behind and before. You hem me in behind and before. And I want to finish with that just uh, as a conclusion of this idea about just believing that when we're anxious, God wants us to meet them in his help, not in his condemnation. You hem me in behind and before. I was saying in my wee vlog that because of my various needs, I'm in quite a strict category of isolation, even within my own house. So I've got my own quarters, as it were. This is one of them where I'm doing this vlog from. And the agreement is, and uh, it's the family that wanted to do this for me, that they'll not come into this space for the next uh, three months at, at least and in other parts of the house so say uh, two metres away but you know I was um, joking in my vlog that I felt a wee bit like a budgie in a cage and every so often uh, there's some seed pushed through my door and some water and so on and then uh, somebody actually bought me a rowing machine so I could keep fit that made me feel even more like a budgie just a toy getting shoved into my cage and uh, who knows what might yet appear in my cage. <clears throat> but, you know, sometimes we think of a cage as a bad thing. Uh, we talk about being caged, or, and it feels like a prison. Verse 5 of Psalm 139 is speaking about a cage that's a good thing. And basically, Psalm 139 is saying it doesn't matter how far back in your life you go. Before all that you can remember... And whether that's good or bad, the story of your past, whether it was damaging to your helpful to your a bit of a mix, before all that you can remember, even before you were knit together in your mother's womb, you're hemmed in by God. So it doesn't matter how far back in the past you go, and this is especially good to know if our story's been a difficult one. Behind it all, before it all, beyond the borders of what you can remember at that place you meet the eternal God and isn't it good to know that as we look to the future we, he doesn't only hem us in behind it says here in Psalm 139 verse 5 that he also goes before us he, he hems us in beyond what we can imagine or see or fear or think might happen, or hope might happen, that beyond all that, at that boundary, which is unknown to us, he's there as well. So from before all that we can remember to after all that we might be afraid of or fear or hope for, you hem me in behind and before. That's a cage that brings wonderful freedom. To know that God was there, to know that he'll always be there, and to know that he's here right now. Let's read on in the sand. Where shall I go from your spirit? So he's talking about the present, not the past now that is bounded by God, not the future that is bounded by God. 
But right now, where shall I go from your spirit? I, I can never be out of your gaze. Where shall I flee from your presence right now? It's impossible to do that. You hem me in behind, you hem me in before, and it doesn't matter where I go now, you're there. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, if I go that low, you're there. If I think on, a, uh, on the morning when the sun rises and I see its beams stretching towards me like wings, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, is there not some experience that, that can separate me from the love of God? If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. When you wake up each morning, Verse 18, I awake and I'm still with you. So he hems us in, he hems us in behind, he hems us in before, and there's not a place in all the universe that you can go to today that is separate from him and separate from his care and separate from his love. Because nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I just want to pray for you very briefly, and then I'll hand back to Graham. So let's just pray together. Father, I thank you for this wonderful bunch of folk who've met together to praise your name in this uh, unusual way and in these unusual times. And Father, for any measure of peace that you've given us, we thank you. But we thank you this morning you care about our anxieties and our fears. And we simply pray that you'll be like a shepherd to us. And come to us not to beat us up in any place that you find us. But gently, lovingly, to take us into a place of green pastures. Where we can lie down where we can find rest for our souls and where we can hear and drink from quiet waters. And we pray for our loved ones, Lord, we might be anxious for themselves. We pray for those that we are concerned for who might be particularly vulnerable. That something even of the peace that we've sought to understand this day for ourselves would visit them. And we pray too for the lost, for those who don't know what to do at a time like this, who've no God to turn to in their own thoughts. We pray that you would put the thought of you into their minds and they might call upon you because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time to think of it together. We pray that its precious seed might find a lodging place in the good soil of our hearts Amen. and bring forth a harvest thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold to your glory and to the glory of your beloved Son, in whose name we pray.
Amen.